Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. And I wanted to mention that if you would like to connect with me directly, you can always do so at MarilynBarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show. I see and answer every single contact personally, and I would truly love to hear from you. Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm Marilyn Barefoot, your host. Libby Wildman is the head of Wealth Advisory at Davis Ray. This fierce, independent entrepreneur is a powerhouse blending her grounded confidence with an incredibly generous spirit. But Libby hasn't always felt she's had the right to use her voice. And with help that we talk about today, she gained the confidence to express her value and her worth. Libby continually shares her wisdom and herself with those around her. In fact, Libby is responsible for connecting me with seven recent Breaking Brave guests, namely Jill Bodak, Dina Kara Schaefer, Silken Lauman, Catherine Choi, Francine Vumbo, Emily O'Brien, and Carol Curry. Please welcome the very brave and exceptionally generous Libby Wildman. Libby Wildman and I have a wild background relationship. Libby is the head of Wealth Advisory at Davis Ray, and she does brilliantly at that work, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. She's um, 30 years of financial services and planning experience. Well, actually, Marilyn, it's 37. Oh, my God, really? I know. Okay, I look so young when you can't see my face and there's no video. I can see your face and you look young and nobody would guess 37, but yeah. good for you. That's that's phenomenal. But we met through your group of incredible women that is called The Collective. And The Collective is about a group of women who are all entrepreneurs who get together regularly, thanks to you, to exchange best practices and to change the world. Yeah, I would say the uh, the common thread, because the collective, um, which I in purpose did not call like pink boss or babe bosses oh, or whatever, yeah. because Thank you. I'm actually very pro-men as well. <clears throat> and in fact, I've started a couple's co-founder uh, also event under the collective brand because a lot of men have helped me be where I am. And again, it's just a unique thing to have your life partner also be your business partner. But the collective, which is for women ages 26 to 73, that's the group. There's about 200 in the community. We meet three times a year and everybody just deeply shares for half an hour with their business challenge or life challenge because life is the same as business when you're an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. as you know. Um, And then they get experiential feedback immediately about it. But what I found is, you know, and and 37 years ago, this is very true. Women were very competitive with each other in business. There was not a comfort like the men have, uh, oh, my brothers are here. It's like, whoa, I'm in a high senior position. Another woman's entered the room. I maybe am in not a comfortable position here. So what I found is when women become vulnerable and share their stories and like each other, then they will naturally help each other build their business. And then that creates a safe community. And because neighbors, you know, as Pete Bombacci, who runs the Genwell Project, will say neighbors don't even know their names of their neighbors anymore. Yeah. And, and so how do we create community? And that's that's really my, my secret sauce. My passion is uh, creating community. And you're brilliant at it, Libby, because I, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven women that you have personally introduced me to that I have interviewed. And there's no requirement of giving back. There's just, hey, Marilyn, I thought of something that would really help you. And that sort of behavior begets more of that sort of behavior instead of, you know, who's competing with who, as you've just outlined. Libby, why don't we do a level set for the world right here in terms of who you are and what you do, just so that we've jumped into the collective first, but okay, well, this woman sounds amazing, but where's the positioning for you? Yeah. 
And I think we all sound amazing when we tell our stories. And inside, we, of course, wonder if we really are that amazing. Um, (laughs) I'm a middle child, Marilyn, so I hate controversy. And my parents, before they got divorced, did a lot of entertaining. So I look at when I run the collective uh, and why I'm so good at it is because early on, I learned how to run a really kick-ass dinner party. Because when you Love think, it. right, when you think about it, that's really what these get-togethers are. They're they're just you know socializing, and the reason I interview everybody is because I want them to feel comfortable when they come, and they don't have to worry about where they're sitting and if they know anybody. And so it's like running a really awesome dinner party. Although we don't drink Excellent. wine until the work is done, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I I grew up in a family where, like most people, didn't really understand what my dad did, and we were privileged in that my mother um, could choose to stay home and bring up the kids. But my dad was a manager with London Life, and so his job was to train salespeople. And I had a three-year English degree from Huron, because uh, I didn't want to do four years because I really just wanted to get out in the world and make some money. But what do you yeah. do with a three-year English degree? So my father said, go and get a job. Now, this is like, well, 1987, I graduated. Then I traveled by myself for a year. And then I came back in 88 to start. Uh, but my dad said, get a job with Xerox, P&G, London Life. You will be trained. One of the big guys, yes. Because they all did that back then. Yep. So I chose London Life, and before I went traveling for a year, because I was really worried I was going to lose my way maybe when I was traveling, like would forget my values. I set up the job that I'd be coming back to. And then I was really lucky that um, the training was really amazing back then. And, And my father was actually the sales trainer. And so he was all about how do you move man's mind to action? He taught us about body language and emulating, you know, clients. And... The golden rule is treat other people how how you would like to be treated. The platinum rule is treat other people how they would like to be treated. So Mm. I became really, really interested in human psychology, what makes us tick, what are all our insecurities early on with, with my dad's training. Amazing. And so I started that. And the other really, really fortunate thing is Just like in the movies, the life insurance industry has massive conferences where they make you stand up and hug the person beside you. And they have amazing speakers who, you know, like we're talking many, many years ago, it was something called the Million Dollar Roundtable. And if you were a speaker and you got invited to talk at this conferences that was 80 countries wide, it was amazing for your career. So I got exposed to motivational speakers. I mean, I was 21 when I started very, very early on. And this just really triggered this interest in me in understanding the human frailty, right? And then how can I help that through originally, you know, financial planning and putting protection in place with life insurance, disability insurance, critical illness, group benefits. But then down the road, how can I help people with this money intergenerational trauma that they have where they feel ashamed. I have too much money. It wasn't mine. Oh, I'm really bad with money. Oh, I can't stop spending money. I don't know how to save. I don't make enough money. There's just, it's a really interesting arena to enter into. Absolutely. Are most of your clients female, Libby? I say this because my research about you seems to be that you're attracting women entrepreneurs and you really enjoy working with that particular group of people. So are most of your clients females? I had my own business up until 2018. And then I decided to join Davis Ray because they didn't have the estate planning, financial planning and insurance arm. And I didn't have the investment arm. So when I was delivering- checks to people when somebody had died in the family and then they were going to the banks to have it managed. They were very unhappy with that. So for me, it was a way to be able to um, look after the whole person. Um, Mm -hmm. And Davis Ray is a fiduciary investment counsel firm. 
which is very, very important because it means legally you have to act in the best interest of your clients only. Brokers at banks, and it does not make them bad people, but you have to understand the platform. Brokers, investment advisors at banks, their legal obligation is to act in the best interest of their dealer or the bank. I did not know that. Most people don't. So the answer to your question, since I joined Davis Ray, I would say the majority of new clients are women. But I also think, Marilyn, that has to do with my maturity. John, who's the CEO of Davis Ray, and and I got married Labor Day weekend after we'd worked together and long enough and we figured out that it wasn't going to screw up our personal relationship. We decided we could do that. But personally, having been through a divorce, having brought up and paid for children by myself, three of them, for 17 years. I understand what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night and be scared to death about your finances. I mean, I got $300 a month child support for two, for two children over 17 years. And then I got married again. And then I got, I think, $100 a month for that child. So I really, truly was responsible financially, emotionally for my kids. And I went through some very, very scary periods of time where I thought, holy crap, man. Like, am I going to be broke when I'm older? I'm managing all of this now. Um, And there were times when I had to say to the kids, okay, we're not going out for dinner for a little while because I wanted to be honest with them. So I think my point is I understand where women are coming from, this great insecurity of, am I good with money? Am I going to be a bag lady? If I had a nickel for every time a woman said to me, my biggest fear is I'm going to be a bag lady when I grow up. I haven't heard that term in so long. I know. I'm so glad you've reminded me of it. I'm like, yeah. Because yes, I do have that fear, Libby, of turning out to be a bag lady. I do. My personal saying is, On the day of my funeral, I will be working until lunch. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. That's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. And some people, so the expression we used to use, Marilyn, is, uh, you know, I want to die in my last check, go NSF. And so, I mean, it's difficult (laughs) to get that completely aligned. And some people do want to leave legacies, right? They do want to make sure that there's some sort of inheritance for their kids. Others don't. Others want to leave money to charities instead of the government. And and so, I mean, really my work is to work with people and first identify the money traumas, dramas, biases, beliefs, and then to be able to say, okay, what do we want your money to do for you? One of my favorite expressions, although I probably well, I won't say the F word, but money doesn't give a hoot about you. It's not, yeah. a, it's not, a, it's not a living, breathing thing. It's not running right. away from you. It doesn't hate you. It doesn't like you. So let's separate it, that it's a tool that you can use. And it's interesting because men will often use the words around money. If you say, what does money mean to you? That it's, it's power, it's prestige. Um, and women will say it's security. Yeah, isn't that weird? Wow. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter, and there'll be both genders that feel, you know, the same. Some men may say security or love or, you know, calmness as well. The point is, what do you personally want this tool called money to do for you and for it not to emotionally have a hold over you as to what you're doing and how you're behaving. And, you know, when my mom and dad divorced, it was pre the Family Law Act, my mom went to work as the receptionist at the hairdressers where she used to get her hair done every week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, you know, she went on to do some incredible things. She became an ESL teacher, and then she opened up a a retail store with some girlfriends, and then she happily remarried. But, you know, there were a lot of moments that I grew up saying, wow, I am never going to be financially dependent on anyone. And so, you know, part of my freedom in being able to leave the the marriages I was in, because there were 
very specific reasons. And one of them was financial infidelity, which a lot of people may know about when your spouse is doing things with your money that you're not aware of. Is that what it's called? Financial infidelity. Isn't that a great word? I knew of it. I experienced it in a previous life. Yeah. This is my second marriage. In my first husband, I experienced, I didn't know there was a tagline for it. And it's as damaging as physical infidelity, right? Or emotional infidelity. Yeah. And it could be lying. It could be a spouse that's a spendthrift because it's not always the man, obviously. Right, right. But it happens more often than you think. And uh, I'm the financial uh, editor for Living Lux magazine. And it's so much fun to write about whatever I want to write about. And I was writing about the fact that um, men and women are can be different with money, but it's funny. I have a number of clients, if they are in a new relationship, they'll say to me, when should I discuss finances with this new relationship? And sort of, well, not really, jokingly, I'm like, well, have you slept with them? Oh yeah, that's <laughs> not a problem. So I wrote about this article saying, it's funny how people will get between the sheets with each other, no problems, but they won't go through a spreadsheet of how much they make, how much they owe, you know, are they good savers? Do they spend? Are their credit cards in debt? Do they have trust fund money so they don't have to work? Nobody wants to share finances, Marilyn. It's too, it's too emotional and sensitive a topic. Yeah, jumping into bed with somebody is easier. Yeah. But you're right. I don't know where that comes from. Does that come from years and years and years ago of people being trained to not talk about money because that's rude or whatever? Every I was raised house that way. is different. And, and what's interesting, because I'm going to be holding a, a live event, actually. I like to do everything small. But where people are going to write in about their money traumas... 20 people will come and I'm going to have a guest speaker who actually deals with adults who were brought up by immature parents and the trauma that that can cause and money always comes up. Hang on, hang on. I got to stop you there. Yep. When is it? What's it called? I need to be there. And is it something that you're looking for people to participate in or are you full, full, sold out? If if you know the Vinyl Cafe, I would like to emulate that and take it across Canada. So we'll have maybe 20 or 30 people. I'll have guests who are professionals and trained in dealing with money psychology, money, or just trauma. Uh, We will sell tickets and people will write in their traumas, their stories, their biases, and we will choose three or four and then do it live with them that day so that they can share their story, which lessens the hold over you anytime you share your story, no matter what it's about, and also get specific feedback to help them shift their mindset and things they can do. And as you know, anybody in the audience will resonate with whoever it is. But you have to feel comfortable, obviously, sharing your story. So how do people, just before we jump into anything else we want to talk about, if somebody's listening to this, and wants to attend, wants to participate, wants to buy tickets, wants to support this in some way, because I'm already fascinated. How would they do that, Libby? So this is the call out for that right here. Yeah, thank you. So if you go to the Davis Ray website, which is D-A-V-I-S-R-E-A.com, and then there's the collective. So I run the collective division, which is retreats, education, live shows, uh, so we will post there anything that's coming up. It'll be in the new year at, at some point, but they can collect that or, or, you know, if they follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram, they can DM me about it. Right. It's going to be very unique. And, and what part of what was driving me towards this is there's gender biases, because as you said, in our generation, dad brought home the paycheck and, yeah. you know, mom wouldn't question it. But now, because I love Toronto being so multicultural, there's cultural differences in money as well. And I think it's going to be really fascinating because you may come from another country, but now you're in Canada. And money is a very important status symbol in countries like Canada and the U.S. Like, just wait 
until RSP season, and you will see every large billboard in Canada telling you that you need to put money away and into an RSP. You can borrow it, you can save it, but you better do it. And it's not necessarily the right answer for everybody, but the mutual fund companies and the banks will put a lot of money behind this campaign. And I know people who are ashamed that they don't have the money to put into their RSP during that period of time. Yes. And it's so silly when you think about it, but I get it. So it's where do we go back to what story you learned to say that you should feel shame around not being able to place money in a vehicle for your future. That could be 40 years down the road. Like you just, you don't even know. Yeah. Libby, how did you figure all this out? I mean, from the standpoint of the story, the upbringing, the embedded fear or shame or any of the emotional things that are embedded through years and years and years generationally, how did you figure all that out? I am obsessed Marilyn, with living my best life. I may not be the easiest person for John to live with because I am always on a quest as to how I can be more like Buddha, which is impossible because we're all humans. But, you know, I spent a lot of time, not only with the collective, but there's another community called Dovetail. I've hired coaches since I was in my 20s to help me understand what my human imperfections are How do I behave in such a manner that I feel proud of myself or when I misbehave, how do I make it right? And eventually, what's my gift? What's my purpose? And then how do I live those gifts and purpose? And what I have found is energetically, I can very easily connect with people. I I can feel them. I intuitively know where they're going with their thoughts and where they need help. And I get a real juiced feeling when somebody says to me, and often there's tears, oh my gosh, I feel so much better having talked Mm -hmm. about this and now understanding why I feel the way I feel and that I have a plan. Yeah. In the past, investment advisors whoever they were, they were kind of downtown, big city men in suits. Very intimidating. For somebody like me, anyway, they were very intimidating. And and you kind of felt like you had to say yes to them for any of the recommendations they were making to you financially because, because they are big and important and downtown people. But in the work that you're doing, you've totally changed that narrative. And you talk about knowing the entire person, which you basically just got to. What's your story? What's the background? Because money as one specific aspect can't be looked at in isolation. Am I correct with that? Absolutely. And there's um, Lynn Twist, who I think is now in her 70s, wrote a beautiful book called The Soul of Money. And one of the things that she talked about, which was an aha for me, is that many people who are incredibly wealthy have equally as screwed up emotional issues with the fact they have lots of money and Hmm. that they feel that maybe they don't have a purpose or gift and that the money was given to them. So it's not really their money. They didn't earn it. Or they have so much money, and this happens a lot, that people are asking them for loans that never get paid back. And when this happens, the wealthy person, it's just assumed, well, you have enough. Why should I have to pay it back to you? And so there is, I don't want to say it's, it's equally as bad to be incredibly wealthy as it is somebody who has problems putting food on the table, but it has its own issues. And Marilyn, We look at the mental health issues today, and we're so privileged to actually live in a country where mental health is an issue, as opposed to necessarily other countries where literally putting food on the table is. But it's equally as damaging, and it's killing our youth and and other people. And so I am really, really driven to find whatever it is that is making you feel bad as a human being. Let's try and find that. And 
maybe money, as opposed to being a point of shame, like I've talked about this with my daughter who's 27, and she's like, oh, if I inherit a lot of money, people are going to think I'm lazy. And, you know, then they'll say, well, she didn't do it on her own, no matter how successful she is. So here I am with my own child, you know, trying to to help her her deal with this. And, you know, who knows, maybe she'll inherit nothing if we all live a long, long life. (laughs) So it's just such a fascinating topic that something that we used to trade for has become something that is causing dis-ease in Canadians, North Americans, and, you know, humans in in lots of countries. And, And so how do we solve that? And I am really, really driven to try and help as many people as I can. There's a lot of stuff on the internet that I find is clickbait. You know, it looks sexy or let's talk about the famous people. And there's lots of incorrect information, quite frankly, out there. Mm -hmm. And so I have got to a point in my life because I've had breast cancer, I've had blood clots, I have faced that mortality thing. I've gotten to a point in my life where if I can't be authentic, then I don't want to do it. So I want to work with people who really want to figure their shit out and they want to also live their best life. And they want to have money do for them something that's important for them. And that could be creating a beautiful lifestyle for your family. It could be leaving a legacy for your children. It could be solving problems in the world through different charitable organizations. It could be building a business that you're really proud of that has impact. I believe, Marilyn, and John and I talk about this all the time at Davis Ray, if what we are doing is only about making money for ourselves or for our clients, I believe the world will no longer serve you. You have to also want to have impact. You have to also want to do the right thing for the people you're serving. And that is where my heart feels so filled up is when somebody from the collective will say, I met Marilyn, we're now doing business together. And I say, awesome, that fills me up. I connected two people who are now doing business together. Or, you know what, Libby, I sold my house You're right. It was my security while I was bringing up my kids. And now it's going to be my security while it's invested in creating an income for me. And I'm going to go and rent. And I got over the shame of renting because this was a conversation I had with this woman. She said, I am ashamed to rent. Yeah. Where does that come from? Some kind of stigma like what? You're not good enough to own your own place? The Canadian dream is that you are supposed to own your house, right? I guess. But where the hell does that come from, right? Who said? Who said that? Who said that? In New York, 70% of people rent. And this is a big thing with people in their 20s and 30s now. There is a mantra. I will never be able to afford a house. I will never be able to afford to live like my parents do. And my conversations with them is really that the paradigm has shifted. So yes, maybe saving for your future is not going to be the same way that your parents did because it's decades later and our money world has changed. Our financial systems have changed. How we build wealth has changed. Maybe you rent in the city and you buy an investment property in some small town and have someone else pay your mortgage for you. So is there shame around you renting in the city but owning something in another town that's going to build you wealth and, in fact, someone else is paying the mortgage for you. And that's tax deductible, by the way, because it's an investment. The mortgage payments would be tax deductible. So it's, it's, again, it's getting into why do you feel shame or why do you feel entitled to own a house? Why is it so important to you? What does money represent to you? I'm going to talk about your retreats, liminal retreats. Well, maybe you could just tell the world what the retreat side of your life is all about and why that's an important 
important piece for you, for the people that you work with, for people that attend the liminal retreats? Yeah. So the word liminal means that you are in a time of transition. Your life has changed and you don't yet know your future. And when I created Liminal in May of 2020, the whole world for the first time was in a liminal space because of COVID. Our world had changed and we didn't yet know our future. So this is really easy, Marilyn. My retreats are all about the fact that if you have self-connection, if you believe that you have a gift, if you believe that you have a purpose, if you believe that you are a good person, then money will no longer have a hold over you. And so this isn't like the secret where I'm going to sit here and think positively about Mercedes showing up on my driveway. But it is about the fact that if I believe I am skilled at what I do, and my objective is to have a Mercedes sitting on my driveway, then I will do whatever it takes in my current job or my ways and opportunities of making money to make enough so that that Mercedes is sitting on my driveway or fill in the blanks, right? The house, the trip, the financial freedom. And so the they're always small retreats. They are about taking time to really, again, dig deep into what are your beliefs about yourself and Every single person on this earth has a purpose and a gift. We will be holding a retreat that is specifically going to be on money. So we are going to, again, go away for a weekend, and this will be announced, but where people will have the opportunity to share their monies and their biases and have practical advice then as to what you do once you've identified it and said, yep, I'm a spendthrift. Or, Mm. yep, I can't spend a penny on myself because I am so afraid of going broke. And not having fun is also an issue in life, right? Like often I'll say to somebody, let's set up a fun account. So when you need to buy that new outfit or you want to go away on that cruise or that vacation, it comes from an account that has been identified as your fun account. It's not coming from your savings that you feel is going to scream at you and say, who are you, you lousy person taking money from me? I'm for your future. You don't deserve a trip. And have you identified timing or details around this next money retreat, liminal retreat? Yeah, I don't know exactly. Actually, finding a place that is beautiful and houses people in Ontario is uh, is difficult and But again, I will make that announcement. You'll see it on social media and it will uh, be in the collective on on our website. But I really, really believe this is important work. And I know from the tears that are shed when I get into things with women in particular um, or men who, again, feel that, and this is generalizing, but a number of the men that I work with, I have done everything for my family. You know, it would be nice for me to go buy a nice car, but I feel like my family's going to say, oh, you're spending this money on you. And and the interesting thing is, Marilyn, if you actually go and talk to their family, they don't feel that way. But Mm. there's an inner voice in the man's head saying, you don't deserve this. And so it's all genders and it's just specific. So my thing is, I grew up seeing people with severe financial vulnerability and not being able to look after themselves. And this is actually really intergenerational because my dad's older brother was killed in an accident at Western and my grandfather was supposed to move to the West Coast for a new job. And my grandmother said, my oldest son is not cold in the ground. I'm not moving. And back then, The company said to my grandfather, well, the guy from Winnipeg's moving to Montreal. The Montreal guy's moving to Toronto and you're moving to Winnipeg. So if you can't do it, you don't have a job. So my dad saw his dad cry and watched his mother go to work, right? And then I saw my parents go through and my mother go through this financial insecurity for a while. So I'm steeped in this. (laughs) I need to get rid of my biases too. I've got something on my wall, Libby. First of all, you're just blowing my mind with all of this. 
that once upon a time, before you set up your own business and before you joined Davis Ray, you were with another group of people. You came to a realization that you didn't want to be that person, that you wanted to be yourself, you wanted to be natural, and you wanted to work with the kind of people that you attracted that you really enjoyed being with. And that experience when you were younger was that you were doing very well, but your partners were taking too much money from how well you were doing and not giving you your share. Is there a story that you might be able to share with us on that? Sure. Um, Yeah, I joined a, a financial group and I had three male partners And um, it was an accounting firm, and we were going to have all the accounting firms across Canada refer files to us to work on the estate planning, the insurance planning, the financial planning, and then there would be a splitting of fees. In the end, the, the Chartered Accounting Association didn't like that. So, I mean, that particular idea went away. But it was very interesting because the financial services world is a male dominated world. I grew up with two brothers. My father was larger than life. He and I actually spoke on stages across the country together. I loved male energy. I still love male energy. But it was super fun hanging out with three male partners. And not only would I only be in a skirt and not pants, I would have nylons on. Of course. (laughs) Of course. And I just remember a time when one of my partners said to me, you know, you can't take that money out of the company. And and I was a single mom of two kids at the time. And I was like, well, what do you mean? This part of the company, I earned it. And mm-hmm. it was, again, it was this thing where somebody was trying to control me and my financial life. And I just, I did not like that. I think you'll find a lot of driven people are also control people. And I'm a big control person because of things that have happened in my life. So there were a number of other things that went on that I was uncomfortable with in in some of the risks that they were initiating with clients. There were tax shelters and things like that. So I left that group because I couldn't control their behavior. And I was uncomfortable Mm. with the risks they were taking. I was uncomfortable with the, um, the shiny people that we were hanging out with. And, you know, shubidi-wa-wa in the financial services world eventually comes to roost. And so I went back to being on my own, thank goodness. Um, And I am just all about controlling the type of people that we interact with. And that was part of my attraction to Davis Ray is our whole team are people who are grounded and authentic and believe in the customer experience of kindness and patience and also having the right amount of education and no conflicts of interest. So we don't sell products. Mm. We invest people's money according to what they need and we simply buy the best companies in the world. So... The whole alignment for me uh, of full transparency, which at a fiduciary investment council firm there is, there's full financial transparency over everything that's done, the fees that you pay. It just really suited the simplicity that I was looking for, having been involved for a while in um, some shubidu-wah-wah times. And, <laughs> and there's another beautiful expression that I'm going to have to use a couple more times. Today. But you know what I, I mean, it. right? Like I do. You want to I be do. everyone's hero, but sometimes you push the limits a little bit because it feels so good to be satisfying that person's need in the moment, even though it's actually not the right thing or there's a tax risk involved and it might all come to roost. And I just, I do not want that for my clients anymore or for myself. And I've never worked in the financial businesses that you've worked in, but it's a very parallel conversation in working in a big advertising agency where are we actually doing this for the benefit of the client's business or are we actually doing this because we're padding our pockets? So it's the same kind of conversation, I would think. Yeah. 
I'm going to jump back to Living Lux magazine just to do a call out there because when I was at your last collective, we got gift bags. Yes. The ultimate dinner party hostess. It was fabulous. There's nothing like a loot bag. And in there was the Living Lux magazine, which I devoured. So maybe just do a little call out to these folks because that's a beautiful, beautiful publication. Yeah, Jennifer Lipkowitz, who uh, founded that, and her partner, Anthony Siriani, they are really committed to providing a high-quality magazine. If, if you pick up, like, Vanity Fair, now the paper's so thin, right? And Jen really invested in quality paper, quality photography. Uh, she and Anthony work so hard at also giving back to their communities so it is a beautiful magazine of design work. And she actually has an exhibition coming up in April that will be full of, of design works. Um, so if people want to look up uh, Living Lux in, in April and attend the exhibition, they're going to see some really beautiful displays of, of all different designers and architects and, and that. Um, and Jen was looking for somebody to talk to money issues and so I had been introduced to her um, and decided, yeah, this would be a really fun way for me to be able to talk personally about money. Yes, there's some practical tips, but it's not, it's not like you're reading something put out by Deloitte Touche or Ernst & Young or your chartered accountant. It really is right. speaking again to why is money important. And when you look at somebody who might be buying Living Lux, there's going to be those people who are wanting to make their vision board and say, gee, someday this is what I'd love to do. And then there's going to be those people that have the money and want to buy the best of the best and have the best design help. And those are two groups of people that I that I love helping. So it was just such a, such a fit. Yeah, Jen's given a lot of money back to sick kids and, and other um, organizations in, in our communities as well. And so have you. You do a ton of volunteer work, a ton of charitable giving. In researching you, I didn't realize you were a breast cancer survivor. Can you talk to me about how that may have given you a different view of life? Yeah, I was very early. It was caught. I was very lucky it was caught early. But uh, John had taken me away from my 50th birthday, and I came back to a letter saying you're part of the Ontario Breast Screening Society, and you don't have to call your doctor. Go get a mammogram. So I did. And two weeks later, I was sitting there and the doctor, I'll never forget this. He said, well, as you know, you have breast cancer. And of course, I burst into tears because I really didn't know. I didn't understand. I mean, when, how do you know? Yeah. Like, as you know, what? I know. Well, yeah. I guess I'd had a biopsy and maybe he assumed. I don't know. Okay. So um, I had a lumpectomy and five weeks of radiation which super, super lucky. I mean, that was almost eight years ago for me now to catch that early. And I had a policy called critical illness. And critical illness is a tax-free lump sum amount of money that is paid out on diagnosis of something. And the reason I had that was I didn't want to have to worry about meeting payroll, paying my mortgage, bringing up my mm -hmm. kids, and mm -hmm. all these different things if I had an illness. So I was very, very fortunate that that money paid out and it gave me the freedom to not have to worry because I wasn't at Davis Ray. I was payrolling my own company and had three kids. Um, so I was very, very lucky that, that that money came into play. But emotionally, Marilyn, I'm a real pleaser and I deplete myself and I do too much for people. It's a bit of a cycle and I'm sure a lot of people are the same way. If you're a pleaser and you have a high need to feel needed, and when you have anything that shakes up your mortality, for me, it gave me the permission to say for a while, back off, everybody. I am only going to do what is right for me for this next period of time, for me emotionally and physically to get healthy. And um, I still went to work in the morning because I wanted to talk to my clients. It you know, makes me feel good. I love what I do. And I had my radiation in the afternoon and then would go home and nap. But it, it, there was a freedom to be able to say, and everybody, if you have fill in the blanks, whatever, you've had a heart attack, whatever it might be, they will give you space and say, what can I do for you for a change? 
And I am somebody, and I learned this from my coaches, that I am willing to lose in order for someone else to win. And for the first time, I felt like I had the bloody right to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to take some time for myself. I can't do that. I can't see you. I can't help you right now. The funny thing is, it was probably only a year later when I had loaded up my plate again and I could remember myself feeling depleted and saying, gosh, maybe if the cancer came back, then I would have the courage to tell all these people to back off again, which is a horrible thing. (laughs) I can understand that feeling, though. Right? Yeah, because you go back to your place of giving, 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 not putting the oxygen mask on yourself first, but giving it out to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something that I, I, I'm still working on because I'm, I'm an addict to helping people. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's some relationships in my life I've had to let go because they were toxic. And I feel that, you know, everybody knows the expression, you are the average of the people you spend the most time with. Yes. But then you actually think about why. Because if those people are bringing you down or they're building you up or they're super creative and they think outside the box, so then that encourages you to think outside the box. It's a really important distinction to say, why am I going to be choosy who I spend time with? And what are those people doing with their life? And what skill sets do they have? And what personal characteristics do they have that I naturally like, I would like to maybe emulate more of with myself? And how how can I even help them? So, you know, I'm, I'm not like a madman where I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be your friend and, and this and that. But But it is something I'm very conscious about. If I'm no longer making someone happy, then why do they want me in their life? And if it's become toxic, right? Or if it's just a downer every time you talk to them, you can help them. Yeah. Yeah. But if they're never going to change, maybe there's someone else that will influence them in a way that will help them change. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Libby. And are you okay now? Are you at the, you only have to come in for a screening X number of years from now place with, with everything? Or is your health yes, good? Yes, I am. I am. Thank you. I'm very healthy. And I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have someone who has cancer in their life. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I had an argument with my father last week about an older brother who is um, somebody who I just will never have a relationship with again. Anyway, it triggered something in me and I got very, very angry. And I remember saying to John, I can feel now why people actually have dis-ease in their body or maybe cancer is caused because I was so angry that it was actually very, very physical. And the next day I went to see my osteo person and she said to me, your organs are all twisted. And I told her about this argument I had, and she said, that makes sense. And so she actually mm. worked on releasing the organs that were twisted up, that were caused by my triggering from a childhood event that made me so angry that created this mass. And it's always been my heart that has been hurt. So it doesn't, doesn't surprise me that I had breast cancer and then acute bilateral pulmonary emboli in my lungs. Like, it's always around my heart, right? And... Yes. Um, So, you know, the point is, how do you react to things? And we can't be perfect. So I had a really, really bad reaction. And I spent about a week journaling, going for walks. I went to see my health people, like my Jill Bodak, my my osteo woman, to try and release the damage I had done to myself with bad thoughts. Yeah, 100%. You can't feel it without internalizing it and it showing up in various places in your body. It's now a good time for me to ask you, right from the gut, speaking of organs, what does bravery mean to you, Libby? Oh, that's that's super easy. Bravery okay, and faith, um, they're kind of they go hand in hand with me. Bravery is living every day as if everything that's happening to you is for your higher good. 
Yeah, it's really important that this goes towards believing you have a gift and a purpose. So Mm -hmm. I have a, a friend who is a health coach and she said her mantra, which I have now taken on is, I am accepting God's plan with ease. I choose to say I am accepting the universe's plan with ease because shit happens. And you can take a deep breath and go, okay, this has happened. Let's see where it goes. So the bravery is knowing that something is happening. And if you have the courage to stay with it, and react from an authentic place within you that it will be for your higher good and learning at some point down the road. And that is not an easy place to live at all, but it is such a worthy journey. Phenomenal. I know we talked about it earlier when we were talking about your retreats, but just as a roundup, As we finish up today, our chat, Libby, how do people find you, connect with you, get information about the collective, anything? These are all the call-outs for you now to say, hey, world, this is Libby. This is how you can find her. Yeah, thank you. And and Marilyn, what you are doing is also so needed, which is just sharing everyday people's stories because we all put, you know, pants on one leg at a time now because I am comfortable wearing pants downtown. Um, (laughs) No more nylons. No, and I I freaking hate (laughs) nylons, man. Um, You know, my name's unusual, Libby Wildman. I kept my maiden name, thank goodness. So if people look up Libby Wildman, there will come up the collective. My website will come up. Davis Ray will come up. You can DM me on LinkedIn or Instagram. I am never too busy to talk to somebody. If I'm not the right person, I will find you the right person. And we do have people come from all over the place for uh, our retreats. So anybody is welcome. And Marilyn, I just want to say thank you. This has been interesting hearing myself share my story. So I, I really appreciate it. Look forward to having you back, Libby. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. For updates between episodes, I'd encourage you to join my mailing list, which you can do at either MarilynBarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show. At most once a month, at least once a quarter, you'll receive an update on the latest resources, topics, and information I've found either super helpful or amazingly impactful. That's it for now. See you next time.